0: This thing was built on black shirts and pipeline. This mission that we start Saturday has to be led by black shirts and pipeline. My privilege to hand out the first one. What you signed up for when you came to Nebraska? This thing is bigger than us. It goes beyond our time here, and it always will be. We gotta honor the people that came before us and the dudes that will go after us each and every day. Let's get it, day by day, day by day. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. With Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer.
1: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. It's Our Week, Redcasters,
2: and just like a Coach Frost game week presser, I'm keeping my hot takes short and to the point.
1: Go on. No, that's it. You don't want to tell me anything, Honky? No. No, if I wanted to tell you, I would have. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm also with Boomer
3: i just like to take this opportunity to announce our newest uh, podcast alliance. We're uh, partnering up with the uh, Go Big Utecast in the uh, Sea Wake Forest for the Trees podcast. Uh, we'll probably have some agreement later. Nothing in writing yet. We might do some shows later once our current contractual obligations are put together, maybe 2036 or so. But we're really looking forward to what we'll be able to do as a group.
1: Boomer, I was in those meetings and we looked across our Zoom screens uh, right in their eyes and there's a lot of trust there.
3: If you can't trust athletic directors and universities to look out for one another, you know, if college sports has taught us anything, I mean, who can you trust? It's true. Uh, Also
4: with Redcast, Rob. Hey, guys, sticking with the theme of press conferences, much like Scott Frost after the Brett McMurphy tweet. I'm not really sure what I'm doing here.
1: (laughs) Uh, well, Rob, you can just sit back and enjoy. And if you ever have anything worthwhile saying, just please raise your hand, type it out uh, in the chat first, and then I'll decide if I want to call on you. Okay. Well,
4: Boomer told me that we were talking about the cheerleaders Rob, and the band tonight. What <laughs> I, oh, sorry.
1: Uh, well, uh, we're having some fun here, but uh, we are back with the the Redcast crew. Uh, Mac is at, at work, but I'm sure he'll be back at some point uh, when he doesn't have conflicts. Um, but uh, lots of cover. We will uh, do the defensive breakdown here in a little bit. But uh, honestly, I just want to want to chat football and chat Nebraska. Uh, Honky, you alluded to the, uh, the brevity of the Scott Frost presser, which um, the Nebraska media seem to take a front to. Did you think it was all that bad? No. <laughs> I, I kind of the- liked it. <laughs> he answered about 12 questions in five
2: minutes. I don't know. I, I don't really need the media to insert themselves into the story right now. There's plenty to talk about without talking about uh, their feelings. Uh, there's a football game this weekend, and uh, I think he answered the necessary questions there. And it's game week. We've waited all off season for this moment to play a game. We're recording this on Tuesday night. We are just over three days away now from it. So uh, Redcast, Rob, and Mac and I will be driving out there to Champaign on Thursday. I'm ecstatic, So that not even some hurt feelings at a press conference are going to ruin my day right now. This is, it's game week.
1: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, I, I thought it was really curious, um, the whole uproar and, and ridiculous. I, I do not watch the press conference. Honky, I know you typically do. You know, if, if you're a $5 million head coach, you, you probably have... Folks that talk to you beforehand on what you're going to say and all this type of stuff. I, I never really find them all that intriguing. I'd rather actually read the articles um, and, mm-hmm. and just get those quotes out of that. It's more efficient to me to that point. I, I read, um, I think Brian Christopherson had a really good article today, had the frost quotes that he gave, combined some of the player quotes. There's a really good breakdown of of the press conference. And I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with any of this content. It was fine. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know why some other members of the Nebraska press thought it was a distraction. And I was listening to um, Sipple uh, on his radio show this morning. And he had Rick Kaczynski on. I don't know if you guys ever listened to that show. It's pretty solid. And Kaczynski just like ripped into SIP for a while because he's like, it seems like Frost is pretty focused on the football game. It's week one, you know, he's trying to set the tone for his his, his team that let's let's get down to business. Right. And yeah. um, that made sense to me. Right. I'm like, yeah, that's what he should be doing. There is no more time for talk. Right. Let's what go.
2: question can you possibly ask that hasn't been asked a thousand times already? And I know you may already have, you know, 95% of your article written and you, you're you trying to pull out one quote. Maybe he's not giving it to you, but that's not his job to do either. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, he could have come out there and said, what a great practice we had today. He could have said and that got ripped. and he would have got ripped for it. Right. So the, the media would have ran with that. So you know what? I don't care. It just, it's such a non-story. And the fact that we're even having to talk about it, that's just the fishbowl that we live in. Right.
5: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: You know, Mac. I'll just, since he's not here, I'll at least bring up one tweet that he wrote in reference to it. He goes, the thing is, I root for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I don't root for the media, local or otherwise. The media media acts like we should be upset with our coach for how he treated them. I think that's hilarious.
1: And I think that is hilarious. I think that's well said, Mac. I think that was directed to Jack Mitchell, who I think was kind of more neutral on this. I don't want to throw Jack under the bus, but I think that was was a good point. Rob, you had a little interaction with uh, Mitch Sherman, who's had some nonsensical tweets in your um, Redcast Rob account, I think you uh, called out Mitch, saying apparently there's nothing else to say, and you're like, "Mitch, it's obvious."
4: <laughs> right? well, yeah, I think I think I said no, Mitch, it's not. Apparently, it's obviously. Um, <laughs> That was great, and, and, and it's funny. I I mean, he didn't respond and, and I don't expect people to respond. It's Twitter and these guys, you know, it's a lot of times they don't respond. And when they do start responding, that's where they get themselves into trouble. Right. Which I could take a few lessons in that. Right. Honky. Sure. But,
0: <laughs> but, but
4: I have to say though, is that it has, it's gotten to the point where I watched the press conference too. There really isn't, there's nothing that hasn't been said so far. Right. So let's just play. All right. I got all my red ready for this weekend. That's all I care about. I want to watch football. I want to see football. I want to see touchdowns and we're going to see a lot of football we're going to see a lot yep. of touchdowns.
1: That's right. And we will be on the, on the national stage. So um, it should be interesting. Boomer. The other big news of the week was uh, the announcement of the Alliance. Uh, this is the big 10 Pac 12 ACC football all-sports conference alliance that really doesn't have a whole lot to it right now. Can you run down the the fine details?
3: Yeah, from what we gathered on what was announced today, it's, it's essentially they got together, must have expensed a few lunches, maybe some drinks, and then... Came out with some press release, mostly just trying to say, "Yeah, screw you, SEC. We're still here too," and that's pretty much the extent of it. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about how it's you know looking at maybe a scheduling sort of alliance, looking at ways to try to schedule games between all three conferences. You know, you'd seen talk of you know maybe every team having two non-con games against you know one from the other the other opposing league. But then the, Kevin Warren said, "Well, we're currently going to honor our contractual agreements that we already have in the non-conference schedule." Well. You know, that takes teams out to the 2030s. I mean, we have games booked through 2035. Uh, Illinois has got Missouri booked through 2035. I think Colorado has non-cons through 2038. So, I mean, there might be a few changes to college football by the time that rolls around, you know, when it comes to commissioners and TV deals and, you know, conference makeups And, hell, the game could be vastly different by that point. Who even knows what it's going to be? And they didn't have any sort of opinion on how they want to see a playoff. Viewed Because that was another point of contention that they didn't have a whole lot of input in the proposed 12-team playoff, but they don't have any stated goal on that at this point. And right now, it's just more of like a an idea they're turning into a suggestion that they might throw out to some sort of statement later on that they may have a meeting about. So
1: it, right now, it doesn't seem to amount to a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, I mean, at I think it's a, at least a, a lob back at the SEC to say, hold on, we're, we're not just going to uh, let you run over everyone, I suppose. Look, I mean, the conference scheduling thing, that may be a ways off, but you're right. I mean, Nebraska has um, non-conference foes scheduled till 2035, but not our, our entire non-conference um, schedule has been filled out uh, for most years. Some years are completely empty. You know, the talk I, I heard a little bit is it's possible that the Big Ten and the ACC drop down to eight conference games, so you could actually have some more room on those non-conference slates. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot to be figured out here. And um, I don't know if the details really are are as important as the fact that uh, these three conferences uh, wanted to make it clear to the SEC that they weren't just going to bow down to them.
3: Yeah, it'll be one of those things. I think it's, like you said, it's more just a statement that we still want to have inputs. I kind of referenced it in my, you know, hot take. It's, any school or conference, if they feel their their needs ultimately align more with, say, the SEC and some random proposal, you know, that goes forward, you know, they'll they'll make that move. You know, if the Pac twelve still wants to protect the sanctity of the Rose Bowl, because that seems also important to a lot of people, they'll still make that move too. I, it is what it is, but it's just another way to get out there and show that you were doing something. I guess that was kind of the, I think the feeling with a lot of the the non SEC era of college foot or area of college football that they needed to do something. You know, after the SEC. Yep expanded and this was their approach they took to say hey we're doing something we're here we're protecting our phony baloney jobs in the meantime because i didn't see like i think the pac-12 was going to they said they were going to announce later this week their thoughts on expansion so we'll see what that amounts to i have no idea so and it's kind of interesting that at no point in any of this has the big 12 come up or what's left of it so (laughs) yes
1: make of that what you will there was a few quotes about the big 12 i think jim Jim phillips said that they're important That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> important in what
3: capacity uh, jim well, yeah man uh, we're still here uh, i'm still there oh guapo so yeah that's right
1: <laughs> yeah um uh, the pack 12 expansion thing was, was curious too so yeah i mean we'll see where that goes but um I don't expect any big waves, uh, but hey, no,
3: I you expect your study commission to expand to look at the opportunities for expansion to our student athletes, yada yada, and we'll get some more lunches out of it, and yeah, billable hours—that's what it all amounts to.
1: Yep, that's right. Well, honk, uh, I know you love talking about uh, conference realignment and expansion, so I, well, no, never mind. I won't ask you anything about that. <laughs> let's uh, let's Appreciate talk a little that. Nebraska football. You know, I mean, there has been some roster changes. And, you know, there's also been a lot of stuff out there. People were trying to predict it up the chart. We're not going to see one officially from from Nebraska. Same thing, with Illinois, not releasing one either. So, you know, anything you want to talk about with uh, the roster?
2: Yeah, just in, in general, I think uh, roster management-wise, we've had two scholarship players in the last week that have announced a transfer. Jimmy Fritschke, the offensive lineman from South Carolina, who picked us over Clemson originally about three years ago. And then just uh, earlier today, Jameen Graham, he also has put himself into the transfer portal. So, you know, someone that's not cracking the the two deep or probably the three deep in some cases too. You know, that's what the transfer portal I think is. There are four guys that have been here for two, three, four years. They've put their time in, they've done what they can do, and they just – they're not cracking the depth chart. I like it for that. When guys, you know, come here and leave before they ever even play a game, that's where I think it gets abused sometimes. But we wish nothing but the best for Jamine and – and Jimmy there, and and hopefully they find the right school and the right place for them. But yeah, in general, it's it's been a busy week, not just with the roster management, but the RedCast. It's been busy, Dave. We've done a BetCast, we've done a you know a roundtable show with some other uh, Twitter uh, super fan influencer types. It feels like the season's starting up here. I listen to the BetCast because obviously I'm I'm lousy with all that. Uh, you got your predictions in. You have the over unders on the Big Ten. I mean, Redcasters, go back listen to those two shows if you haven't had a chance yet. I mean, this is. You're going to get a lot of good quality content uh, for your commute out to uh champagne or just you know anything you know your your work day on Friday when I know we're all going to be working wink wink there's plenty of good redcast content out there to to go back and listen to.
1: Yeah, it was a an epic bedcast. I believe it clocked in at an hour and 48 minutes or so. Uh so we uh really uh, how took many cross our time. Pressers is that. <laughs> a season's worth I would say. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of fun doing that show though. It was a good time. And then uh then we have the big surprise of Honky uh orchestrating uh just an impressive social media gathering of Husker influencers. Um I don't know if you want to name everyone off, but it's the who's who of of kind of Nebraska fan Twitter sphere. And uh, it was a really entertaining show. I listened to it earlier today and uh really, really thought it was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, all repeat visitors to the Redcast. We had Jim in Minnesota, Meg. Chaz and SoCal Huskies and Chris from Husker Hype. And it was really, I brought it about on the Thursday morning, the day after, you know, the huge allegations. And I can't put that in bigger quotation marks, huge, the allegations (laughs) of of an extra practice here or there, or an analyst where, I mean, there's this, there's almost a guilty feeling I have on the RedCast. I think back in like January, we were saying, Hey, wasn't that analyst on the sideline? Like, like I don't, no one's hiding anything. We're just, Everybody saw it. Are we, are we the mole? Are we the ones who leaked? Did, oh my we, God. did we screw this up?
3: <laughs> it's no, just I mean, an that's...
2: analyst. And, and then the NCAA rules are even dumber. Like they can be on. Actually, there's nothing wrong with being on the sideline. They just can't coach. Well, who the, <laughs> what the hell? is? Only the NCAA could create an unenforceable rule like that. I mean, that is just so yeah. perfect for that uh, incompetent of a organization. But whatever. It was the frustration of the moment. Of like, don't tell me this. That That's when I brought that group together. And quite honestly, as I've had some chance to, to think back over it, I really appreciate what Trev did. And, and I really understand yeah. why Trev was brought in. When we talk about wanting an athletic director with boots on the ground, someone who's here, you go back to the March incident with Nebraska and Oklahoma on social media. And I have never for one moment ever thought we were ever going to drop that game. But where we dropped the ball was in our six-hour response. And that falls solely on basically the athletic director not being there to make a response in a timely manner. Well, fast forward to last Wednesday, and, you know, those allegations come out as basically we're we're in practice that morning. Frost is in practice as all that stuff's breaking. And Trev's not sitting there waiting for things to happen. He gets that press conference put together. He's right there with his coach. He doesn't let his coach go to some post-practice press conference and just get hit up with a bunch of questions that he's not prepared to answer. Yeah. that's right. he was there to do his job. And, and also they told, they said nothing. It was a perfect press conference. He comes out and he goes, we acknowledge, we acknowledge there's an investigation and uh, we're not going to talk about anything more. And uh, we're laser focused, by the way, guys, I don't know if you've noticed this, we are laser focused on Illinois. And that's all that's come out of that program now for the last week. And that is just fine with me. Any national guy that wants to make something of this, I don't care. We just need to play football. No, need, I understand. I was ecstatic, to be quite honest with you, with how Alberts handled that. And if Frost looks upset, it's because he looked upset. That's just the way he is. I mean, I don't. It is agree. very
1: true. I mean, there's been a lot of times where Frost just kind of looks agitated about things. So I, it was not unusual to me at all. No. And honestly, I think that I wouldn't be, be surprised if there's been communication between those two. You know, Frost saying, hey, I, I want to be able to focus more on coaching my team, getting them ready for next week op- opponent. I don't want to spend so much time rehearsing my press conferences. And and I wouldn't be sorry if Trev's like, you know what? You know, if you want to keep it short and sweet with those guys if, because you're focused on Illinois, that's all right. Keep mm-hmm. your keep your you know answers to a sentence or two. And he's like, okay, right. And then he we did had, it. Right? We've had so many
2: coaches over the last 15, 20 years when you had you know all the assistants in so many coaches that have come through this program and guys that have been you know, at multiple other Power 5 schools, big schools, Blue Bloods in some cases, and they come to, to Lincoln, and they're just almost shocked at how much of a fishbowl, how many press conferences, how much yeah. of their attention towards them is being asked. I remember Phil Almation, I think, one time saying that, and I was like, that dude's coached at every P5 school at one point. In, <laughs> he <time> did. <laughs> it was one-year stop. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. That There's just so much attention. And that's fine. Look, Frost knew that the second he took this job, right? There's that much attention, but there also gets to be a point where you just you can't keep polishing a turd of of an answer to the same question 85 times. And so, I actually I I listened to that press conference. I started listening to it because I had heard you know how horrible it was, and for the first three or four minutes, up until the little back and forth with McEwen, which give me a break, get over it. But up until that point, I was listening to it and I was like, this is fine. It's really short answers, but he's actually answering the question. It's very coach speak stuff. I mean, good Lord, it's game week. He looks like he has a little bit different face on him than, you know, during off season yeah. stuff and move on. And And there'd be media people that are like, I've never seen someone so upset this time. I'm like, did you ever see Pelini? Pelini, I can remember him. <laughs> there was one time he was furious after like the third practice of fall camp. And and there's sports writers asking him questions, and he's like, I don't know. And he's he's growling. I'm like, Bo, chill. It's like practice three.
1: But yeah. whatever, that's that's yeah. Bo, right? So yeah. Well, I mean, heck, Osborne was notorious for not saying anything at his press conferences, right? He'd never actually really say anything. Sure. He would just kind of fill the void. That's so. exactly it. And and Osborne would get upset at
2: times too. I remember Mike Babcock telling us a story about how there was some reporter I don't think it was Mike but I think it was another reporter at the time asked a question about some play that they saw in practice and that really annoyed Osborne because Osborne made it very clear to reporters that if you're going to sit in at practice right you're not you're not reporting on you're not talking about certain plays so he's like who are you where are you coming from what and you know Osborne with the nice friendly face but I mean he was very direct to people too when he needed to be so anyways yeah, We've, we've spent probably more time on this than we needed to, but some of this is just getting it off our chest. Where no, I don't have any issue with it. At the end of the day, the judgment is going to be on what happens on Saturday. The talking that's going to need to be done is going to need to be done on the field. And uh, we've heard everything we need to hear from Frost already. It's time to throw the bones.
5: We're not in uh, general math anymore. We're like in uh, you know whatever you guys took. I took like uh, general math one and two. You guys like calculus or whatever, right? It doesn't feel like we're like it's Groundhog Day. Like we're starting over every single day, like it, like somebody has in the past when you're putting in a new system and you're getting new players and those types of things. It feels like we've already got the, the groundwork laid. Now we're putting on the trim and in the, the shingles and in and the details. And, and, and that's a
1: good feeling for me. All right, we're throwing the bones, doing our defensive breakdown for the season, and uh, intro was uh, all about the black shirts. And we did um, learn uh, the first twelve black shirts. I'm expecting maybe one or two additions to that uh, group, right, Honky?
2: Yeah, we had uh, four defensive linemen, five linebackers, and three DBs. Get the original uh, twelve, but uh, to your point, there, I, I imagine that we'll know
1: more here in the coming weeks. Yeah, I would think that maybe the uh, opposite cornerback from CTB would would get a black shirt when they finally win that job. That might actually take a few weeks. We don't know. Sounds like Braxton Clark, Quentin Newsom, Tyreek Johnson, all in the mix still there kind of on that side. A um, couple surprises maybe on the black shirts. I, I thought it was great to see DeAndre Thomas, for example, uh, getting a black shirt.
2: Yeah, definitely well-deserved. And that guy, he's been, what, four or five years here now and yeah. I've been through a he was lot starting
1: under Riley. Wasn't he for a while?
2: Yeah. yeah. They put him at nose tackle when he was like 260 pounds. Cause they knew what they were doing. Um, but you look at him now and five years later, and, and he just really looks like he's grown into his body. He's prepared to be out there. Another guy on the line that's grown into his body is, is Daniels. And this guy, not only is he a black shirt, he's a captain. And he was a surprise captain. I, I think a lot of people, if we'd have done a poll, a week ago, we would have said at least, you know, Doman and Stilly, the sixth year guys, were going to be yeah. captains. They yeah. weren't, uh, you know, Dismuke and Williams. Those guys have been here forever. They weren't on the defensive side. It was Cam Taylor Britt and Daniels. And then on offense, it was uh, Martinez and Austin Allen. When I look at the black shirts right now, I, I see four guys from Nebraska out of the 12. I always love seeing that the in state kids. And one of them that's a surprise a little bit was Henrich. And I'm guessing if he's, an inside linebacker Blackshirt, I'm guessing he's starting. so yeah, I was him. really
1: surprised.
2: Yeah, him and Reimer uh, starting with Kolarevich and then probably Snodgrass kind of backing those two guys up, yeah. which that's cool. And then there, you have three outside linebackers, and I don't know who exactly the starters will be. Well, we know Doman will be one of them, but then the other one's going to be some combination of either Caleb Tanner or Garrett Nelson. And uh, – I just if I had to guess and we created our own redcast, you know, starting lineups, uh, graphics that we posted a week or two back, we had Garrett Nelson as a starter. And I still tend to think that might be it, but I think Tanner, I mean, certainly can, I mean, he's sure. he's as good as a starter. He also I think he can be a, a pass rusher. I don't know if he's more situational in that sense then. Does he get out there in the 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 second longs and third down pass rush situations? I don't know how they're going to, you know, plan to use that role yet. Um, obviously, Doman, he's kind of that hybrid guy, so he might be outside linebacker. He might be a DB on one play. Again, it'll be fun to see. I don't, I don't know how they're planning to use all those guys necessarily yet.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure Mac would have been excited to see Tanner actually get the black shirt, just in the sense maybe it's indicating what they mm-hmm. expect to use him for this year, right? I mean, that's that was something that was surprising, but um, kind of cool to see. So, well, let's let's start talking about the defense and um, we'll start with uh, the defensive line and kind of work our way back from there and um, even though there's I think you mentioned uh what four black shirts on that d line is that right hunk
2: yeah stilly uh, Ty Robinson
1: Daniels and then DeAndre Thomas right right but I mean we're expecting at least six maybe seven uh, guys to be kind of in a regular rotation there right so we're probably also, I uh, have Jordan Riley, Casey Rogers, Nash, what, the polar uh, bear man.
2: He There's high praise of him and that he's making the trip this week to Illinois. When you, you got to remember, it's an away game. I think it's a, what, a 74 team roster. So, yep, that's right. you're not just bringing everybody on a trip like this. And they're bringing Nash. Tuioti had, had said that. So, right there, that's at least seven linemen that they're bringing that we just said. And uh, there's other guys, too, that could be in the mix. Messiah Newsome. But that D-line. Pretty much completely comes back intact from what we had a year ago. Plenty of leadership, plenty of experience there. And I think the guy that, I mean, I'm absolutely keeping an eye on here. I think Ty Robinson is primed to have a all-conference type of season. He is ready to go. And you see that guy physically, he just looks like he's, he's just ready to kill it. He's focused. He's focused. You know, I, I guess I don't. I didn't see any press conferences with him. Maybe he did one, but I'm guessing if he does a press conference, it's going to be short and to the point and direct. He's focused. He's laser focused, and he can't wait to see how this team looks on on Saturday.
1: That's right. Well, um, Redcast Rob, uh, you'll be at the game here on Saturday, and uh, you know I think how this D line kind of sets the the stage for our run defense will be be critical. Uh, is there a name that's kind of popping off this list that you're kind of looking forward to see in person?
4: Well, on a personal note, yeah, Nash would be a great one just to kind of see him get in the game only because Hunky and I met his parents uh, during the spring game uh, that's right. at, at our hotel. And so that was kind of cool to sit down and talk with them and and just I mean, if his desire is half of what his parents are to see this team succeed, then we're in for a show. But one thing I did want to talk touch base too, though, Dave, is, is with the defensive line, is that I think what is it? The whole defense as a whole is returning everybody, but like two players. Honus was one, but he got injured, right? And then I think Boodle, Boodle at the yeah. other. Guy? And he's yep, uh, that's right, and he signed with the Chiefs. So um, you know, outside of that, everyone else. But I think this team last year was like 85th or 86th in the nation with quarterback pressures. They only got to the quarterback like 31% of the time on third down last year. One of the things that they need to do is be able to pressure the quarterback. Now they're getting better every single year under Shenander, but that's going to be, I think the key to the game right there up front um, is being able to get more pressure on the quarterback there because they Have not ranked, I think, higher than like 44th in the nation in sacks. They haven't recorded 30 sacks in a season since like 2013. I think I saw I read that somewhere. Yeah. So, Randy I Gregory mean, year of something. yeah. Randy yeah. Gregory was exactly the name that, that they brought up. But, uh, even then, I mean, I think the most sacks anybody had last year was three, right? So that's going to be a big thing this year. Um, get to the quarterback, pressure the quarterback,
1: yeah. Well, Boomer, you know, one of our super seniors that did start to do that more frequently than last year was Ben Stilley. Um, almost feels like he's almost a forgotten part of it. I mean, even though he he was on the cover of hell varsity magazine and everything, but he's so much is just kind of expected of of Ben at this point, Uh, you expect him to have a a big uh, six year.
3: Yeah, I I am actually. And I think that's going to be the key to the entire D line play is what can we get out of our defensive ends? Uh, Rob hit exactly what I wanted to hit on. just the importance of generating, you know, a pass rush and a consistent pressure on a quarterback, you know, what, what can the line do itself? You know, take some pressure off the, the linebackers having to, you know, produce on that end. And we've been experienced, you know, defensive backfield. Can the line get pressure on that quarterback? Get those quarterbacks making mistakes so those DBs can, can take advantage of that. And I think that's going to be the big key. I and mean, we've been subpar on on sack totals and quarterback pressure. And now's a good chance to, to turn that around. And when you got a guy like Stilly and like I said, it's nice when it can just kind of be an afterthought that, hey, he's good and he's going to be good and we don't have to worry you know, about talking about him too much and trying to talk him up. That's kind of something you like to see and yeah, I think this is a good chance. It'll be an interesting game to see what they can do against a team like Illinois. Yeah, you know, that does have a kind of an experienced offensive line coming back and an experienced quarterback. You know, how talented they are, it's up in the air. But again, it's a great test to start off with. And I'll be fascinated to see what this line can do.
2: What you guys are referencing there the sacks and getting pressure. And, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to get turnovers, you're trying to get the offense to make mistakes. Just once, one time in the last 10 seasons, Nebraska's had a positive turnover margin. And that was in 2016. We were plus five. So, you know, imagine the improvement uh, if we can just get on the plus side of that. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and I'm a little interested to see with this defensive line, how they are going to use the multiple fronts. Uh, I've already heard both Shenander and Tuioti have referenced that we can do three-man line, we can do four-man line and do it interchangeably. So I'm curious to see if we get into a little bit more four-man line. I look at a guy like Ben Stilley and... You know, I kind of called him out a couple times last year, and good on him. He proved me wrong right away, but I was like, if we're going to get into pass rush situations, you know, we almost need to take him off the field. We need to put a real pass rushing D end on the field, and then the next week he got a sack at the end of Penn State and ended it. So, I mean, egg on my face, right? But I still would maintain that in a perfect world, he's not a pass rushing D end, but in a 4-3, I think he can be an outstanding D tackle in that 4-3, and he plays nose tackle even sometimes in the 3-4. So using these guys properly, getting a D end, like Caleb Tanner can play D end in a four, three. We've seen it at times last year. He put his hand in the ground. He's a, he can be a a pass rushing guy. Look at our athletic director right now. That guy was an outside linebacker and transitioned into a, you know, an undersized D end that could get around, uh, you know, offensive tackles and make some plays. And, We've got guys that can do that too. So how they utilize the 3-4, how they utilize the 4-3. We talked about Doman playing multiple roles. They can be very multiple this year with all these guys back. There's plenty of experience, and it, it's about making the plays, making the stops, making the stops on first and second down, but then forcing turnovers and getting the ball back. That's, what it's, that's ultimately what it's about. Daniel's at nose tackle. Everything starts at nose tackle in this defense. And that dude, he played the most plays I think any of, of any game last year was against Iowa. I think he played like 45. And when you see what he did, I mean, you rewatched that Iowa game, and he just controlled the entire center of the line. They couldn't move him. That gives me so much hope against Illinois and beyond this season.
1: While you were speaking there, hockey, it, it does start to reinforce the value of consistency in your coaching staff and um, having uh, these these coaches together now for four years on the defensive side of the ball, and we're seeing advancements on that side uh, significantly. So, I mean, hopefully, obviously, the offense starts to catch up to him. But, I mean, you know, I mean, to think about it, I mean, we are already past the Mike Riley era at this phase <laughs> of, of um, time compared to Frost being now in year four. So it is interesting. Uh, before we move on, Hunk, um, with – to the linebackers is there a wild card name out there that we haven't uh, identified that you might think might show up in the stat line this year in the for the defensive line? Well I guess
2: we've mentioned him so far but I would say Jordan Riley is someone that he's physically got himself right. I mean anyone that's seen photos of him uh, so far during fall camp he looks completely ready to go and and you listen to Damon Benning and some of those guys talk about him. They speak of NFL talent, that this guy might have the most NFL talent of any of the, the guys, whether he's starting or not. So whatever has kept him off the field, um, if he's corrected that, I mean, they're going to go through a lot of depth. I think we're going to want guys fresh out there. They'll use six, seven guys, I think, in a game. And so I, the thing is, we've got guys that can do that now. We've got that kind of depth. I, I can see Riley having one or two really big games, whether he's the starter or not.
1: Yeah, all right, good stuff. Let's uh, start talking about the uh, linebackers and start with the uh, outside linebackers. And so, uh, obviously, Caleb Tanner and JoJo uh, Doman got the, the black shirts there, but I imagine we'll see uh, others. Um, your initial thoughts there on what you're expecting from the outside linebackers, Hunk? Yeah, I mean, Doman and Tanner and, and Nelson,
2: I mean, those are three great guys to start with. And, and like I said, I don't know who is – Going to be out there on the first play between Nelson and uh, Tanner. Nelson's so consistent. You started to see it last year. That guy knew where to be in position. We started to really set the edge. If you recall, about two years ago, there were a number of games where, you know, we would give up containment and teams would run some reverses on us or Iowa got some runs outside on us right away two years ago. Not with Nelson out there last year. Man, he, and it was interesting because you started to see the defense actually like look like it was meant to run the way that they were doing it. Like Nelson would go run to some point and it wasn't necessarily where the ball carrier was, but he's running to a point because he is setting the edge and that makes the guy have to cut up. And then when he cuts up, there's the linebacker who's supposed to be in that gap. Like everything looked like it was meant to, to work that way. And so when guys know their roles and they're playing it well, that's what Nelson I think gives you. Now this year, can Nelson give you that same play? But now as he, a year more developed, and can he bring some of that pass for us that, you know, Rob was saying earlier that we've kind of lacked a bit? So now, if you're starting to get some pressure out of Nelson on top of that solid play, now you've got yourself a real player there. And Tanner, I mean, I think there's a ton of talent there. Obviously, Payne behind him, Payne last year barely got here and wasn't, you know, as physically uh, ready to go. And now he's had an offseason under his belt. So there's some talent there. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do.
4: I actually wanted to ask hockey more about this because he's obviously really good on the outside linebackers, but Phil Darius paint, tell me a little bit about that guy, because um, I've seen a couple different articles. I think Derek Peterson even wrote one mm-hmm. um, basically saying that he thinks he'll end up being the sack leader this season since I was bringing up sacks, So um, I'm curious because it seems like uh, the linebacker coach has been giving him some pretty high praise. I did a little bit of research on him real quickly and, and uh, I don't know, what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I think he's definitely – he has the skill set
2: to be a a, a pass rusher. That's really – he was brought in to do that. He was a juco brought in a year ago. But uh, through a couple of injuries I think he had, and he just – it really, I mean, he – in fact, he wasn't able to do some lifting, I think, coming in the last year. So, I mean, he was really not in the greatest shape to play football, and yet still did a year ago and and had some success in some games. But this offseason has done him well. He has gotten his body right, and – Uh, he is one of those guys, again, it could be a situational kind of thing. It's third and, and 10, and we're putting him on the field and he's going to get that, uh, get into the backfield and and cause some of the havoc that you're talking about. I think that we have enough options like that. Now there might be times where you have four outside linebackers on the field at once. If you get into some four, three kind of, uh, you know, pass rush situation and your D ends in a four, three might be Garrett Nelson and Caleb Tanner. And you might still have Doman on the field and you might have, uh, you know, pain rushing, you know, from an outside linebacker spot. I mean, it, I, I don't know what all the uh, different options are going to be, but I wouldn't take anything off the table. And these guys now, they really, I mean, they, there's so much experience back here. We're not talking about anybody who's fresh faced here that yeah, uh, hasn't right. been a part of this, this team for, you know, quite a while now. And to Dave's point about the continuity of coaches, every coach has been here with these guys at least, One year, and in many cases, it's been more than that. Shenander has made the statement multiple times that they've been able to watch film from day one where everyone knows what they're doing
5: there's still some freshmen that have to get taught the basics but a lot of the meetings a lot of the installs we're talking about real football we're talking about situations we're talking about technique we're talking about detail instead of okay we're putting in the defense here's your job here's what you do let's go play football when we get through that we've got to really detail things and we've got to talk about just overall global football knowledge football formations football plays and I think that's really helped the guys the older guys especially move their game to the next level and they don't have to teach some of the same things that the early stage things
2: to some of these players. The, the older players are teaching the younger players things and they're able to talk about more football from day one because they're just so much further ahead than they've been in previous seasons.
4: Well I was on last year's defensive breakdown too um, when we were doing this and I think uh, my favorite part about this and the reason why I brought that up quite frankly is we're talking about a lot of depth right now. And that's not something that we were talking about last year. So uh, that's got me really excited.
1: Yeah. No, you know, Hockey, you know, Feldarius is, is not a, a small outside linebacker either. So, to your point of the flexibility and maybe him even putting his hand in, in the dirt, I could mm-hmm. see him um, doing the same thing that Caleb Panner can do. So, absolutely. A lot of versatility there. Uh, well, let's talk about inside linebackers a little bit with uh, Luke Reimer and uh, Nick Heinrich. As our our starters, at least presumed starters now, but with a lot of uh, depth there, even with the loss of Will Honus, we still have um, guys like uh, Garrett Snodgrass and Chris Kolarevic um, backing those guys up. You know, you got those four guys at the top right now.
5: You got Nick and you got Luke and you got Garrett Snodgrass, and you got Chris Kalarvik. Um and then you got some freshmen, some young guys pushing them from behind. So that competition is really, really high. And I think that's really, really good to have that competition because even if those guys separate themselves, they know they can't stop.
2: Yeah, and, and Mauga Clemens too, who they've talked about and again, there's a guy that had the offseason that yeah. he needed too. I think he came in here it, it's crazy. We get a guy that come in as a JUCO or a transfer and, you know, they're a couple of years out of high school. And the assumption is they need to play right away. And if they don't, something's wrong. And the reality is, I think almost anybody coming in, if you don't have a full offseason, it's hard for me to rely on you immediately to be a player. I mean, two years ago, it was Dedrick Mills was going to come in here and he gets here in August. But he he's a stud and he's a four-star Juco. And he's going to last year, it was Omar Manning. You know, he gets here late and some guys just need that offseason. They need that time. And everyone that we're talking about right now is somebody that's had that. Until we get to the DBs, we're going to talk about one DB when we get to that point that uh, that hasn't had that full offseason. And I don't know if he's going to win his position yet. So, for the most part, we're talking about guys that we've seen, whether it's been in spring or we watched them play last year. They have been here. And uh, I think that's going to you know pay off for us this year.
1: You know, Boomer, uh, you mentioned Chris Uh, Kolarovic's name, and I'm sure we're getting his pronunciation just slightly off because that's just how we do things here. But we brought him up uh, in spring ball, thought he might be a big impact. I think he is going to be a big impact. He's going to play a lot. But were you a little surprised he didn't get a black shirt? A little bit, but it's one
3: of those things. I think they're just kind of expecting him to grow into that spot You don't want to give everyone that little kind of shiny bell and whistle right away. I think they're just trying to expect to see if they can get a little more out of him. And I think that's just one of those tools, that carrot approach that I think you can. That's kind of what
1: I'm expecting with that, why we didn't see it. And I think they're just expecting a little more out of him. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Obviously, a newcomer and could earn that um, as he goes. But, um, you know, Heinrich as a redshirt freshman is going to be there for a few years. Same thing with Reimer as a sophomore. So it's interesting. But to your point, uh, we've been known to. Uh, have more than uh, 11 or 12 lachers handed out. So at some point he's still can to earn that. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the secondary then. And hockey, let's uh, start um, outside in again and start those cornerbacks. We have one clear cornerback uh, starter there in Cam Taylor Britt, who um, you know has gotten a lot of uh, press um, preseason, is one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Um, uh, but we're still trying to figure out exactly who is starting across from him. You know, Quentin Newsom, who's one that played uh, quite a bit last year, Braxton Clark as well before he got injured. And then uh, there's also Tyreek Johnson, the five star transfer from Ohio State. Yeah, Tyreek's done a nice job, uh,
5: you know, coming out of a, into a new program, learning a new scheme. Um, you can definitely see. And one-on-ones and those types of things, the elite movement skills that he has that made him a five-star recruit, uh, once he gets more comfortable with the guys and, and in the scheme, I think he's going to be a really, really
1: valuable asset to our football team. Your thoughts on who's starting opposite of uh, CTP? Yeah,
2: I think we wrote down for the Redcast uh, starting lineup, we put down Quentin Newsom, and I have no reason to think that's not still the case. I think he's probably the best shot to have be the the starter on on game one. Uh, as the season goes along, you know who knows. I mean, Tyreek Johnson brings a lot to the to the table. Uh, Braxton Clark is a six foot three corner, and a, you gotta love that size too. But I'll tell you, uh, Newsom's a tough dude. I mean, they, we saw that at times last year, and he's just a hard nosed cornerback out there. I mean, I really like. He looked to me, he looks like kind of like a younger version of, of Cam Taylor Britt. Really, uh, we're we're gonna be solid no matter what. That's where I feel really good about. That's a good solid position for us. And the other thing that I like is that, and this could also apply, I guess, for the defensive line going against our offense. Our offense and defense in practice here are going to make each other better. Our receiving core, the size that Cam Taylor-Britt and Newsom and all those guys have had to go up against now and the quality of some of those receivers, I think that's going to pay dividends too. It's kind of the old thing back in the 90s that you know, you'd go and you'd play a practice and then the game was easier. There's going to be some guys that we've gone against where going against our own guy, it's going to be easier when they play on Saturday. I mentioned Ty Robinson earlier. Robinson's a beast. I've heard that he's caused a lot of havoc and trouble for some of our offensive linemen, and you can look at that as, oh, no, what's, what's wrong with our offensive alignment? But you know what? He's going to cause a lot of havoc for a lot of players. Well, I think Torrey and I think Omar Manning, when those guys, especially Manning, when he's on, I think they're going to cause trouble for a lot of defensive backs. And that's what our defensive backs have been seeing every single time in practice. I mean, there was a great catch that was thrown to Torrey a couple of weeks ago. We saw the video of it and Torrey stops and jumps and he makes a really acrobatic catch and it's Cam Taylor Britt covering him. I'm not concerned about Cam Taylor Britt yet. He got beat on that play. That gets, cause that's a really good receiver he was going against. So, yeah. you know, Whatever they say, iron sharpens iron or, you know, we're not.
1: I believe that's what they say. I think
2: that's what they say, right? So, I guess uh, we're sharpening our our own irons. That probably
1: doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, guys. Well, yeah, I I think you're right, Honk. Uh, It will be interesting to see how that rotation plays out Mm -hmm. um, on the cornerbacks. Um, But I think, you know, I think we have some good answers there after losing uh, DiCaprio Boodle to the NFL Yep. Um, that we have have some some depth across the board there, safety wise, lots of depth. Right, we have uh, Deontay Williams and Mark this new two super seniors coming back, um, but then we because of uh, their ability to to get um, targeting calls thrown <laughs> on them or etc. We have seen Miles Farmer, uh, Isaac Gifford, um, and hopefully now we're looking forward to seeing more of Noapola Gates. Um, and, and a few others. Um, so what are you thinking about this uh, safety group?
2: Yeah, number one is not to have all the targeting calls this year, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, to your point, the, the targeting calls have given us a ton of depth. You know, we want to thank the NCAA and the Big Ten refs for that over the last uh, 12 to 24 months. But, um, you know, you think about it with Miles Farmer, uh, it's amazing how much mileage you can get out of one game. You know, he comes in against Northwestern and plays last year and gets two interceptions in the first half. And if there were, if it was not for targeting calls, we wouldn't have seen yep. that he wouldn't have had that opportunity to get out there and make those plays. But what I like about it as much as anything is the body types that they have. I mentioned Braxton Clark is a six foot three dude. Well, that's what farmer is. And you know, you have Javon Wright out there too. And I don't know what Wright's going to play yet. I don't know if he's an outside linebacker. I don't know if he's a safety. He's kind of falling into, they have some of those hybrid roles that that uh, Doman's playing, you know, too, but um uh, they just—they have a lot of bodies right now. They have a lot of kids that have now been in this program for about two years minimum, and you're going to start to see those guys. If they're not on the field, on the defense, you're going to start to see those guys definitely on the field in special teams, and that's how you're going to start to see the introduction of them. You're going to earn your spot. You mentioned like Kolarevich. He doesn't have that uh, black shirt yet. Well, earn it, and you can earn it on special teams, and I am, you're going to find a lot of special teams players out of that back seven whether they're starters or not.
1: Yeah, it sounds like uh, Fisher is actually making that a big deal, and um, I think that is going to be the case maybe with a lot of these position groups. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, speaking of special teams, um, Boomer, let's let's talk a little bit about special teams, right? And um, on the kind of defensive side, we have the punter. And uh, do you expect that our um, Aussie kicker Daniel Cherney will uh, be beating out um, uh, William Presswip?
3: Yeah, it'll be. I think that's still the kind of the the one special team spot that's still fairly up in the air. Um, you know, we didn't see, really see anything of Turney last year due to injury, thanks to kangaroo flu or whatever it was he had. Um, so that that's probably still up in the air. But you know, we've heard good things about him from uh, some of the other comments I've heard. Connor Culp, you know, brought him up in a in an interview the other week. Um, so it'll be good to see. I I expect we'll probably see Turney primarily handling that the punting duties this year, but it's good to have somebody to fall back on, at least with Pristap if needed. So.
1: Yeah. And with a lot of experience too. I mean, yeah, so, exactly. I mean, it's not one of those things where a Caleb Lightburn scenario, scenario where if he just starts messing up, we have no one else to go to, right. If uh, he struggles for Lightburn, any reason, I think uh, you bring yeah. Pritz up in and you, you feel okay
4: about that. So
0: I would say punters up for grabs and kickoff specials up for grabs. You know, feel really good about Connor with one more year as our field goal kicker. Um, But who's going to kick off? I'm not sure yet. And it it could be one of three guys.
1: You mentioned Connor Culp, a pretty clear um, starting place kicker. um, He was Big Ten kicker of the year. But he doesn't possess the biggest leg, and he may not be our our kickoff specialist, right? So are you expecting maybe – uh, Kellen Meyer or um, is it Frankie? I believe. The, yeah, the... Brendan
3: Frankie. Yeah, the morning side kicker. Yeah, I've heard a lot yeah. of good things about him as well. You know, the talk is he's got at least one big leg, possibly two.
1: You know, with any luck,
3: he uses
1: one at a time, though. Yeah, yeah.
3: But uh, yeah, if he can just get you know balls out of the back of the end zone, so we don't have to be concerned about hey we score and now hey, let's give it right back to Iowa so they can you know run it back for a touchdown and kill momentum. You know, if you can you just do that with some consistency. That's an upgrade there. You know, you leave Connor the place-kicking duties where he's quite excellent to have in that stretch of the game. You know, we've heard the importance of special teams. We've stressed it a lot here. You know, we've, you know, flagellated that, you know, cadaverous equine many times here. So, and we've heard it from the staff this year. They really focused on it, and it's time for them to really show they have.
0: Yeah, uh, just two days ago, uh, we were doing individual drills on special teams, and I think Coach Dawson, who's been doing an unbelievable job with that, um said we got 138 reps of individual technique in a 10-minute period on special teams and the guys have bought into it man they're working hard in those drills we can't find any loafs at all people taking a playoff on those drills the the guys know how important that is and that could be a little difference for us in several games uh so i see uh, great leadership by coach dawson right now uh and great effort and uh attention to detail by our team
1: yeah and, uh, you know, Honky was mentioning that we expect to see some first and second teamers uh, on the um, the kickoff and, and punt return game. And, uh, you know, I think Cam Taylor Britt is our likely punt returner. What about, about yeah. kick return? What are you looking for there?
3: Uh, that I don't know. I haven't heard any official announcements of who they're looking to, to return kicks yet. You know, just like everything else with the roster, it's pretty quiet and locked down. But um, like Honky said, it's a great opportunity for people to to step up and show what they can do um you know in another role on the team and just contribute to a season so i'll be, I'll be interested to see who they put back there in both those spots and so we've got a slew of you know, experienced, you had a defensive backs who who are quick. We had a lot of running backs who might want to see yeah, the I've field. Seen, that. I've seen Omar's name even thrown out on that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got plenty mm-hmm. of wide receivers. You know, we they talk about how we have, what, six deep wide receivers we could yeah. you know, put out yeah. in the field at any time. What a better place to put some of these guys on, on you know, special mm-hmm. teams. So yeah, Nixon it, it's Brown. a good problem to have okay. where we have a huge cluster of people that could fill those
2: roles. Mm-hmm. And I do want to make one reference. You brought up Frank and, uh, you know, Kellen Meyer at the kicking spot. And this is another example for the walk-on program. It pays off for Nebraska as in special teams with those kickers. It was something that we walked out of spring ball, and I I brought it up at our season five uh, ending show. I said, I I think we walk out of spring feeling pretty good about a lot of our special team spots, but I didn't think we had a kickoff specialist yet. It just didn't look like we had it. And I think that's what bringing in Frank from uh, Morningside, bringing in Meyer from Ord, both walk-ons. They add to that depth. They're big legs that can get you that. And the other thing is with our field goal position, I feel really good with Culp from about everything from about 49 yards in. I think you get much deeper than that. And I don't know that Culp is the guy I would count on either. And this is where it's interesting to see if, do they have a deep kicker? You, You can go way back into the the early 90s, I remember we used to have Tom Sealer and Byron Bennett, and and it was a question mark. In fact, at that Florida State game where we, we kicked the wide left with Bennett, I can remember the, the announcers talking about where the ball was placed. You know, if it was a few yards further back, they would probably use Tom Sealer to kick it, but it was far enough up that's when your normal kicker would when Bennett would. So and we've had other years. Kunlick and Henry were kind of you know used in similar ways too. Is there going to be a scenario like that this year where if we're in a, a situation we need to kick a fifty-five yarder? Is that where you're you know sending Frank out there? I don't know.
3: Well, I just expect touchdowns with regularity. Yep. So that, just that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, just, just
1: score touchdowns, yeah. baby. That's it. Yep, make it all extra points for Connor. Make it easy. So. Yep, I love That's it. That's right. All right, I think that covers the defense. Uh, let's move into game week, guys. Um, week zero. We are the very first game on uh, TV and in college football in general, uh, starting on Saturday against the Fighting Illini. Um, we've mentioned that Honky Mac and Rob will, will be there. And so, um, you know, let's just maybe break down the game just a little bit, Honky, um, see what you're expecting to, to see in person, what we'll be seeing on TV, and um, we'll get some game predictions out there. Um, you know, I mean, I think this this – it was a really interesting matchup in the sense that Illinois beat us last year, right? 41, 23. Um, we had five turnovers, if I remember right. Um, we had Luke McCaffrey starting at quarterback. We had Marvin Scott as our running back. Um, and, uh, it it didn't go so well. Um, but, uh, Adrian did come in late in that game and direct a scoring drive and looked good. You looked really good the year before, minus a couple turnovers where we almost had 700 yards of offense and we needed all of those yards to win by, I believe, six in Champaign. And you were out there at the same time. Um, it, do- it does seem like the Illinois game last year was an anomaly for both squads, right? If uh, you look at something like um, uh, Brett Siancia's game greater, that was the best game for Illinois and the worst for Nebraska. Phil still has a similar. Um metric, it's the same thing. Those are like outliers, right for both both schools. We feel like last year was just this aberration and just like can, can be discounted or um uh, do we need to to think about what really happened there? and with Belima being the new coach at Illinois, you know, what is he gonna try to throw it at Scott Frost? I look offensively and without
2: McCaffrey being out there with uh, Martinez being out there now, it's night and day difference, I think, just from that position, the the signal caller and what we have now at our running back spot, the depth that we have. I'm really excited what we're going to trot out there against them, whether, you know, sebion Gabe, Step. There's a number of differences that I think that we're going to bring. We're going to hear a lot about how different Illinois is, but I think we're going to be really different just because our personnel is going to be so much different on both sides. Defensively, they ran the ball on us last year. They had two 100-yard rushers. I'd be a hell of a lot more concerned about that if we hadn't come back after that and had some of the defensive performances we had against Iowa holding those guys to three yards a carry and uh, you know really starting to take control over the the line of scrimmage and I think we're going to see more of that this year that the front seven I think is going to come out right away and and really make it hard on Illinois to move the ball Illinois as far as you know what changes they have their offensive coordinator they brought him in from Appalachian State they ran a lot of pistol there I imagine Mm -hmm. that Peters they're going to try to get him to run the ball a little bit against us. Uh, he did run the ball at times last year. I think the first game of the season uh, it was against Wisconsin. You know, they were running some zone read with him. And that's actually intriguing. I think he can be a little bit of a dangerous run threat there. So we have to you know pay attention to that. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think that uh, we're primed to be, in, we just need to play good football this week. And if we do, I think we can take care of these guys. And, and I think that we need to be motivated to take care of these guys because of how we played last year. I mean, I think these guys have had a year to really let it sink in how bad they played. That was just the worst damn game I've seen them yeah. play. On the roundtable talk that we had, uh, Jim in Minnesota mentioned he was listening to the, the Jojo Doman podcast, and Jojo said he was going to motivate himself uh, for this game by watching last year's game alone. Didn't want anyone with him. That was going to be kind of his, his psych up was just watching last year's game. I mean, that's how bad we played. I don't know that there's a better team to play in week zero to start the season off than uh,
1: it being Illinois. No, I think that's a really good point. I mean, uh, it's just, it was befuddling that performance. And I I remember uh, Chander, Chander saying something about um, they had two different game plans because they weren't sure if uh, Isaiah Williams was going to start at quarterback or it was going to be Peters. And they kind of, kind of, you know, confused the defense essentially. So, I mean, hopefully that's, been taken care of I guess but I mean to, to your point on on Illinois and having the success they did I was I'm looking at, at, at Brett Sianci game grader right now Illinois had their season best score of 73.4 versus Nebraska uh, take a guess on what their grade was versus Wisconsin in week one so this is this is oh. Illinois full strength pre-COVID uh, against Wisconsin week one last year they got pummeled in that game. Yeah, I'll so say twelve. Kind of been good. Yeah. I'll
2: say twelve. I
1: don't... Two point seven. Jeez. I mean, they got. That's, pummeled, that's not right? a good
3: two point seven, is it, Dave? Yeah.
1: No, it's not good at all. Not it's like crazy. not like a golf score where you want. Lovey. I mean, amazingly, <laughs> yeah. they did worse in the last game of the year, which now that makes sense because they know Lovey's getting fired. But they had a one point seven versus Penn State. So, God. I mean, I just like. I mean, like, it's been really interesting. I've listened to a lot of national um, uh, pundits and predictors, and and they're actually a little bit high on Illinois, better than their – I think, Rob, if I remember right, it was three and a half. It was their over-under, right? And uh, we took unders, I think. A lot of others have taken overs. And Tom Fornelli, who's on CBS Sports, uh, is an Illinois grad, and he's he's a homer for Illinois – totally get it I'd do the same thing if I was on that show probably from Nebraska but I mean he's like you know they got all these super seniors and they got two NFL potential linemen and you know Chase Brown and Brandon Peters is a good game manager and and all of these defensive guys back and then I look at these and outside of the Nebraska game they were really bad last year across the board and uh defensive scoring they gave up 34 points a game I mean it's just it was just It's rough. So it's like I get where Illinois might not be completely – the cupboard might not be completely empty for uh, Bolima, but I think they got a long ways to go, and this is why they're being picked to finish probably in the bottom of of the Big Ten East – or Big Ten West, and we need to show why that is on Saturday.
4: If if Nebraska can do one thing – seriously, just one thing, it's all I ask of them this weekend. Going into Saturday, they play this game, they come out of the game. The one thing I want to see – It's Nothing more. Okay. They get one turnover. Okay. That's acceptable. The five turnovers that can't happen again. And that's really the only difference in that game last year, I think was the turnovers and Luke doesn't turn the ball over five times and Nebraska would win that game, but it's deflating. You know, you keep turning the ball over, turning the ball over, turning the ball over game over, like no pun intended. And and that's the one thing that I really want to see coming out of this game from, from this team is just no turnovers. Yeah, yeah, we've had nine against them the
2: last two years. The fact that we've split those two games is amazing when you consider how many that we've had. I mean, This game is all about we have to win this. We have to as a program. We need that momentum. Uh, Frost has never had three straight wins at any point under his career here at Nebraska. Uh, right now, technically, we're sporting a one-game winning streak, so that's not too shabby. And uh, let's make it two. And then the next two games, I mean, we can get into a four-game win streak going into Oklahoma. And uh, what I want to see is I want to see some momentum out of this game. And then the other thing is, and I want to see this every game, don't get me wrong, but definitely here, injury-free. Let's stay injury-free. Let's get out there. And and it's something, I guess, you know, Redcasters, these are the things I I like to track during a game. The first thing I want to pay attention to is whether we're kicking off to them or they're kicking off to us is, starting field position, where did they first start their first drive? Where did we start our first drive? Start to compare those two and try to, you know, go a couple drives into the game and where are we starting from, right? I want to track some of how many rushes is Martinez getting Are we at seven, you know, quarterback carries at halftime? You know, that's that's already getting up there, you know, higher than it should be. Things like that. There's just some very basic stats and things I'm going to try to track from, from play one that are important. But at the end of the day, physicality, and I want to see – the, the turnover margin, one time in the last 10 seasons, we've had a, a positive turnover margin. That needs to end this season and it needs to end this week.
1: Yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, Honky, one person I wanted to touch on, and boy, I wish Mac was here, um, is Sevian Morrison. There seems to be a little buzz uh, at the late part of camp here that he might be emerging as um, a significant player, if not just in the top three, even a, a starter potentially here against Illinois. Um, Sam McEwen, I, I heard him talking about just how Morrison is just a really sp- special athlete that probably got under-recruited a little bit. Um, you, you're thinking Savion might be the, the starter?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know exactly yet. I mean, it, what's crazy is we have three guys that any one of them could be it. We've, we have put down as our projected starter was going to be Gabe Irvin, but then there are people that just swear it's going to be Step, and now all of a sudden Savion's come out of nowhere and and uh, he could be the guy. And at the end of the day, I could care less which one it is, to be honest. I mean, uh, whoever they think is the best that have gone through that competition. Um, we asked a question uh, today on, on, uh, on Twitter, and it was uh, – Mac was just feeling apparently bored, and he sent the uh, question to Boomer, and he posted it. It was, if the Huskers have a 1,000-yard running back this year, what's the win total, five or fewer, six or seven, eight or nine, or ten or more? And right now, you know, with 62% of the votes, eight to nine wins. Another 9% of the votes, 10-plus wins. So that's over 70% of people think that if we get a 1,000-yard rusher, we're going to at least have eight wins. 70% of people think that. That's how important that one stat is. And so, again, to your point there, Dave, I don't know if it's going to be Savion. I don't know if it's going to be Gabe. I don't know Step. I think Yant's going to have a situational role where he's going to get out there and make plays. I've said it all off season and, and I'll give all the credit in the world to, to Scott and Ramirez. No one's left. It's kind of surprised yeah. me. I thought I thought yeah. number five or six kind of would, but no one has. And all those guys can contribute. We were talking about who could be punt returners and kick returners. I mean, if you lined up Ramirez back there to kick, you know, return a kickoff, it wouldn't shock me.
1: That and makes so, sense to me.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there's the talent, the depth, everything is there. This is such a different team than a season ago. And uh, I think that's the thing, you know, and and did not have some of the COVID uh, stuff that we had a year ago. Not that COVID's completely gone away, but did not have the stuff that we had a year ago. I mean, Seveon came here as a true freshman, had COVID, and just didn't have a good season. And you can imagine there's a – I'm not trying to excuse stuff, but you can imagine – you can understand why. And for him now, with a solid offseason under his belt, uh, there's talent there. There's a reason that guy beat Spencer Tillman's re- rushing records in Oklahoma – Boy, wouldn't it be a great story for him to go back to Oklahoma and have a great game in about three or four weeks? But sell down hockey. I mean, <laughs> let's take care of let's take care of game one first. But uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. There, honk. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, the the depth is there. The players are there. I I, I like what I'm saying.
1: All right, all right. Well, let's uh, let's hear some Illinois game predictions um, and. Uh, Boomer and, and Rob, you just heard uh, Honky kind of you know lay out the, the reasons why he thinks Nebraska will uh, will, will win. I'll, I'll wait to hear what the, his prediction is. but let's start with Rob, who I know is extremely high on Nebraska covering the six and a half point spread. What Rob, what's your prediction for the game on Saturday?
4: Why did you pause after you said extremely high, Dave? i (laughs) Um, I know you have a few dollars on this that's all i know i'm 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 joking um colorado Colorado, it's completely legal um (laughs) no i i've said all along and i'm sticking with it and i will not back down on this is nebraska is going to win this game by two scores two touchdowns possibly even Uh, end of story i don't even want to talk about it anymore that's what's (laughs) going to happen good night all
1: right all right two scores no actual number boomer no no
4: numbers to that rob i mean. We talk about oh, like, you want. Know, oh,
1: you want numbers and a
4: zero, or are we you yeah, know over
1: uh, under is fifty five, oh, yeah. four zero. Give us, give us. Oh, some
4: I, I was going to say it's going to if the over under is fifty five. I was actually going to say 45-15. So there you go. All
1: right, forty five fifteen by Rob Boomer.
3: Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating game in a lot of ways for all the reasons we laid out. Um, it's a game we have to win for all the reasons Honky said. We're kind of going. You know, both teams kind of have a lot of ciphers to them. We're hopefully turning a different leaf I think for what a lot of people think and no idea what to expect out of you know Illinois' offense especially when you're you know uh, taking bilamo ball pairing it with Appalachian State's OC and then who's their new defensive coordinator from Missouri I think Missouri. I it. Missouri. yeah because I mean they were yeah. just god-awful as a defense last year which is kind of odd considering it was Lovey Smith who was a defensive specialist but they were just I think they were dead last. I think against the run last year, so I think there'll still be some hangover of that. I think a running back should be able to get something going, which should be nice, and take that pressure off of Martinez. And at some point, those turnovers have to swing the other way, right? I mean, you can't can't always average four and a half, you know, turnovers a game against these guys, right? I mean,
1: yeah, it right. can't always
3: happen to the drummer, like on Spinal Tap. I mean, come on. So
1: <laughs> if we if we just hand the ball off in the first, play, yeah,
3: I mean, a at some point, a yeah. lateral, those breaks have to swing the other way and you know this is the year the huskers have to do these things um so what the heck let's 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 say they will we're going to say nebraska 38
2: illinois 28
1: 38
2: 28 all right yeah i think we're going to be laser focused and uh, i'm going to give us 45 points and i'll say we hold them to 17
1: 45 17 all right all right and um you know, I, I like the uh, symmetry of just reversing last year's score. Um, I'll, I'll say forty-one twenty-three, which is, I believe, the score from last year. I, I, I just ad lib here a little bit. I, I find it intriguing a little bit of, like, you know, the kind of a love affair with the national media on um, Bolima and and I, I think he's a good coach. I think he'll do probably better Illinois than the last several <laughs> Illinois coaches, but. Yeah, if you look at his uh, track record, he won 11-10 games his first couple of years at Wisconsin, and then he then he won nine, and then it was down to eight and five. I think he left, you know, at eight and five. I want to say went to Arkansas, only won eight games once at Arkansas. He, he really had his greatest success, you know, being Barry Alvarez's successor, right? And I, I'm really curious to see how well he actually. Uh, you know, coaches up this Illinois team um, and see where they go. I, I think it's actually going to be a harder transition than a lot of people have given uh, it credit for to take what Lovey Smith gave him and um, actually be successful.
2: Yeah. Transitions are hard. I mean, we've learned yeah. that far too many times at Nebraska, and it is something to respect that I think he's a great hire, you know, being an Illinois guy too, originally, I think he's a great hire for that state. But at the same token, man, what he, what he's – inheriting what you're taking over. I have full respect for what that takes to rebuild a program and you know, we've lived it. So, I mean, that's, and quite honestly, that's even all the more important that we need to take care of business against a team that's going through that transition. I mean, Dave and Rob, you know, two years ago, we were out there in Colorado watching us in year two, still a transition for Nebraska, but in year two, we were playing Colorado in year one of Mel Tucker and we're up 17 nothing we, we have no business giving up that, that second half the way we did. We just we need to finish this game. We need to get on these guys early. We need to pound them. We need to pound them into the ground,
1: and we need to take care of business and finish it.
2: And, and I, I don't have any doubt that we can. I really don't.
1: Absolutely. That's a perfect quote, Honk. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Uh, let's start with Rob.
4: The quarterback is going down.
1: He's going <laughs> down hard. Very good. Brandon Peters, watch out. All right. Good. Uh, Boomer.
3: Well, it's a uh, football game week. Uh, I think we're all getting excited. I'm looking forward to some, uh, quality, uh, old fashioned Husker fight songs on Friday night to get pumped up. But, uh, Something else I just want to remind our listeners of. It's not just football season kicking off uh, with fall sports. We've had Husker women's soccer already getting off to a 2-0 start in regular season play. Uh, Volleyball's been scrimmaging. I think there's swimming and some other sports starting off. So if you've never gone to any of the other Husker sports, I do encourage you to go out and just give them a try. They're usually free or very affordable. I've taken my kids to some of the soccer games just for fun. You know, why not? So... Husker Sports isn't just football and volleyball and occasionally men's basketball. Just there's a lot of things to try
1: out, and all those athletes, all those players deserve support. So go ahead and give it a shot, folks. Yes, absolutely. Boomer, good point. Uh, I know the volleyball team had their scrimmage and uh, another sellout, like usual. And hopefully, uh, uh, Nick Lynn is is healthy, right? And uh, and um, maybe, you know, Rob, next time you're in Lincoln, you'll have to drop by Borsheim's and pick something up from the Lexi Sun Edit line for your wife. Hmm. All right, let's get out of here, Honk. What do you got?
2: I like what you say there, Boomer, and you do that every year. And when Rob was down for uh, the spring game, we bumped into a, a Husker uh, rifle team member, and we promised her that we would make it to a to a contest this year. And I haven't even, I don't know what their schedule is. I don't know what time of the year they play, but that's just a, a good example. of There's so many other sports other than just football, baseball, men's basketball that we cover primarily on the redcast but there's so many other good sports and I'll root for anything that says huskers on the jersey you know but as far as this weekend goes i mean this is a blast it's or a week it's or a day on friday uh rob and mac will be there with me for that uh the, to go out and watch a game in person again we haven't done that since 2019 it just i can't wait i'm just excited to have college football there are so many people some of them that were on the round table Last week, but other fans of of Illinois, you know, other teams, but a lot of Husker fans that we've met on Twitter, they're going to be there that we're going to get chances to tailgate with. I can't wait to to just be a part of college football again. So it's really going to be fun to do that. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to mention as far as a parting shot paper stadiums tonight posted his final video of Memorial Stadium. And I mean, we talked with him back in January and the guy's amazing. And I know he listens to the show, so I hope he gets I hope he hears this. But, uh, you know, Trey, unbelievable job on Memorial State. That is incredible what you've done, the amount of detail and everything. You know, Redcasters, my goodness, you know, hit him up, you know, pay, pay the dude some money and have him build you one of those things. I, uh, I'm going to earn a little bit of money and on the side and, and get something from him, you know, so I can put it in my basement or something somewhere because that is the detail details amazing. So. Uh, Anyways, it's very cool to see that story, a guy that came from Nebraska here, you know, building these things for pro teams all over the country, but what he just did building a Memorial Stadium is just, it was outstanding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those images are amazing.
3: I wonder if I can get him to build like an antelope field or a Nebraska field of old.
1: Yeah, it it could be simple. I don't know about the architecture of the buildings around it. That would probably make make the look, right, Boomer? Yeah, it would be fairly simple, though. Just a big dirt field for some of that. So it it, it could be done. All right, guys. Great talking to you tonight. I'm really looking forward to Saturday. I can't wait for it to get here. I am jealous that you guys are uh, going to the game. I know I'm, I'm banned until uh, we can prove we can win some road games, and maybe I can feel confident that it's not me any longer. Um, but I know you're going to have a great time in Champagne. Hey, hey, Dave, the roundtable really loved doing the uh, "Go
2: Big" Redcast to end it. I mean, they we loved having like the the whole group loved saying it. So it's kind of iconic what you've created that phrase. You know, I think Redcasters out there really know it. So I mean. Would it be okay if like maybe the four of us help you out here, you know, ending the show? No, it's what I do.
3: <laughs> yeah. Do we really have
4: to? I mean, yeah. That was actually the most Dave answer I fully expected right there. So we're not, not allowed.
1: To... Uh, Rob is actually, and you guys have all heard me. I mean, like I can blow out my vocal cords when we're at a bar and we do a go big red chant and I yeah. do the go big red. I literally draw it out for like, I mean, it's about 30 seconds. It's in, and I, I will not be able to talk the next day. I haven't done it in years because I, I just I need my voice for work. But um, I appreciate the compliments from uh, the crew. Um, but for now, let's call that a go big red
4: cast. Go big red. GBR. Beat Illinois. Beat Illinois.